I'm just going to give you an exclamation point on the lessons that we've just heard. Um, we as a parish have come to really appreciate and, and revel in this season of Advent because we think it's so countercultural and it's such, a, it's such a, an antidote to the rampant commercialism and the rush to Christmas morning and, and uh, all, the, all that goes with, with the trappings of Christmas. Uh, but we want to pause. Uh, we fast from communion this morning. No Eucharist today in anticipation of the celebration of the Lord's incarnation on Christmas Eve. And we invite you back for that. I want to remind you just for a second as an exclamation point that our world is full of promises. We make promises all the time. You made them. I made one this week when I bought a car. I promised to make my payment on time and to make all the payments. When you buy a house, when you get married, when you take vows, if you become a judge or a doctor or a lawyer or lots of other things, if you join the military, you make vows, which are forms of promises. We make promises to one another all the time. In lots of ways, our world is full of promises. And as a pastor, as a priest, I can tell you that a lot of the pastoral counsel I do is because people are let down when promises are broken. And yet we go on making promises because we live in a world where we have to make promises. We have to give our word. We have to say, this is what I, I truthfully intend to do, and I hold myself accountable. When God makes promises, we call them covenants. And God makes several covenants throughout the Bible. Noah, Abraham, King David, etc., etc., the first covenant promise that God makes actually occurred way back in the first lesson you heard. I don't know if you caught it or not, but it's from, actually the second lesson, from Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve partake of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, and they, are, they know themselves to be naked in rebellion against God. But God says this in verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, speaking to the serpent, who has tempted Eve and Adam to take of the fruit. Between your offspring and her offspring, you shall bruise his heel, but he will bruise you. He shall bruise your head, rather, but you shall bruise his heel. See, I, I said that did the same thing that, that Miss Libby did. We, we stumble over it. You shall bruise his head. He shall bruise your head but you shall bruise his heel. Why is that important? Why can't I get it out? Well, because the enemy Satan, the great enemy of God, is constantly bruising us in the heel, constantly wounding us. We see it throughout the biblical narrative. You know the experience. Every time you've had a promise broken to you, every time you've been let down by somebody, perhaps even by somebody in the church, we experience the bruising of our heel by Satan. But the promise is that you will bruise his head, meaning, in other translations, crush his head, meaning that the heir of Eve will crush the head of the serpent and destroy the evil that is at work in the world. And of course, we know 
that that is the promise, that is the covenant, that is the vow that God makes that he will send an heir that is Jesus. We know that now because we can look back, which is why we do an Advent service. The enemy of God continues to raise his head throughout the biblical narrative. We see it in... uh, in the Tower of Babel, as the people rebelliously try to build a tower up to God and make a name for themselves. But in the face of the bruising of the heel, God sends Abraham and makes a vow with Abraham to make a nation of him, a peculiar people. Again, when Pharaoh rises up, a Pharaoh that doesn't know about Joseph and begins to, to enslave the children of Israel and begins to be cruel to them, a cruel taskmaster, God raises up Moses and leads his people to freedom. When Saul, the Old Testament king Saul, begins to rebel against God and begins to listen to the evil one, and when Absalom um, uh, the, one of the sons of David began to rise up in rebellion. It is King David that God establishes and continually gives victory over his enemies and then gives him an heir, Solomon, who he says will be his son, but then forecast an even greater son to come, which of course is another promise, a vow to bring forth the Lord Jesus. When Israel goes into exile in Babylon and is carried away from its land. It loses its land. It loses its king. It loses all of its authority and all the things that possesses. It loses the temple. God from Babylon vows and promises to restore his people, to bring them back from captivity and to reestablish them as a people and to promise that he will be in their midst and he will bring a healing to them and he will bring a deliverance for them over and over again where the enemy strikes at the heel of God's people God raises up one who strikes the head of the serpent but all this is foreknowledge it's all anticipating an even greater deliverer You see, promises sometimes take a long time to be fulfilled. The time between a promise made and a promise fulfilled is faith. It's the established belief that God will do what he says he does. You see, we live in a broken world where people break promises all the time. They default on loans. They break marriage vows, et cetera, et cetera. But but God is faithful. He who promises will deliver. And we, the people of God, wait in faith for God's deliverance and his fulfilling of his promises. The greatest promise that God has ever made comes to Mary. That God is about immediately to bring into the world a savior. You see, in the unfaithfulness of humanity, God sees that the only way for him to bring healing and salvation is for him to come himself and bring us salvation. Not only to set us free from a broken and sinful world, but to in fact deal with the sinful brokenness of our own human lives. A judge who is actually incredibly and perfectly righteous A king 
who is completely just, a priest who's without sin. God is about to bring the salvation into the world, and he brings this promise, and he reminds Mary of all the promises he's made up until this point, and then he tells her that he's about to fulfill this promise in a very short time. Mary doesn't have to wait very long. Our ninth lesson shares with us. But the cost is going to be great for Mary. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but Mary's responses here, I believe, are a, an insight to how we as faithful people can anticipate the Lord's promises and live in accordance and be faithful to all God has promised, even if we haven't yet seen the fulfillment of the things that he's promised in our lives. The first thing to note is that Mary is skeptical almost. We're, we're told that she is, in her heart, concerned about this proclamation. Greetings, favored one of the Lord. The Lord is with you. But Luke tells us that Mary said, she was greatly troubled with the saying. Isn't it interesting? If any of us were given the, the news that we were greatly favored of the Lord, we'd be like, awesome, tell me more. But Mary is troubled. Mary is not naive. She knows that with great favor comes great responsibility. And so Mary asks more. She wants to understand more about what this, this declaration will mean. And we know it will mean a lot. She'll be scandalized. She'll be doubted. She will even be subject to Old Testament law that could mean her death if people don't believe what the angel is proclaiming over her. So the angel goes on. The angel says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God and you, behold, will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, Yeshua in the Hebrew. He will be great and called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. The promise will be fulfilled. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, there will be no end. Mary receives greater insight, and then she responds. How does she respond then? How will this be? Tell me more. Oftentimes, it, it seems as if to have faith, people insinuate that somehow you're not supposed to question or doubt or ask for more clarification or say this is hard to understand. And Mary models for us just the opposite. God welcomes our questions. He welcomes our, our inquiry. He asks that we go further, that we want to understand more fully what, he's, what his plan is for our lives. And, and Mary asked for greater understanding. It's not a question of doubt. It's not that she doesn't have faith. She believes, but she doesn't understand how it will be accomplished. And so she asked the Lord for insight. 
when you face incredibly difficult circumstances, it's all right to ask the Lord to give you insight, to help you understand further. But you ask with faith, knowing that God is a God of promise, not a God who breaks promises. And Mary exemplifies that for us. The angel goes on. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born to you, will be called Holy, the Son of God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son in the sixth month with her who is called barren. It's the most unique birth announcement ever, right? For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary says, Behold, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according to your word. Well, finally, in face of God, the promise-making, covenant-making God, Mary responds in faith and says, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be unto me according to your word. Ultimately, the model of discipleship that Mary displays for us is that belief wins out. Belief wins our doubt. We doubt our doubts and we believe God even in the face of the things we can't completely understand. This is the witness of Mary. This is the great promise that God has brought salvation into our world. He doesn't conquer militarily or intellectually. Sociologically, he he conquers by coming to every knee that will bow and every heart that will confess him. He's building a kingdom, one human being at a time. Each of us, as we acknowledge him as the fulfillment of of the promise that God made throughout biblical salvation history. Today, we still wait for the final promise, the promise that that same Jesus will return. It's the twin purpose of Advent to both prepare us to celebrate his first coming and to look forward to his return. When the righteous judge, the holy priest, the godly king, the everlasting father will come and make all things right. And we, his people by promise, we wait in faith like Mary. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.